0: Our sermon for August 27th, 2023, the 13th Sunday after Pentecost, is taken from Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 9, and the theme of our sermon is God's Church Takes His Name. From Exodus chapter 34, the Lord came down in a cloud. He took his stand there with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and overflowing with mercy and truth. He calls their children and their children's children to account for the guilt of the fathers, even to the third and the fourth generation. Moses quickly bowed to the ground and worshiped. He said, If I have now found favor in your sight, Lord, please let the Lord go along with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, pardon our guilt and our sin, and accept us as your possession. The word of the Lord. While it is by no means required, it's a long-standing tradition that a wife takes her husband's name. She does this not to make herself less in some slavish way, but to show that she is becoming one with her husband. This is not a contract. This is the start of a new life together. This same picture of marriage is used plenty of times in the Bible. The capital C Church, all believers of all times and in all places, it's described as the bride of Christ. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, describes this husband-wife and Christ-church relationship in beautiful detail. The wife submits to her husband as the church submits to Christ. The husband loves his wife like Christ loves the church, willing to make all of the sacrifices in the world to make her holy and special. That picture of a bride and bridegroom might be especially worthwhile as we dig into this section from Exodus today. Many people will wonder who God is, And throughout history, people have come up with plenty of ideas about who he is and what his name represents. What we discover, though, as we read, is that God tells his church his name so that she knows his name and she uses his name. The section picks up not long after Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. And what does he find? The people have made a new God for themselves, a golden calf. In his anger, he he breaks the tablets. He becomes enraged with the people, grinds the golden calf up and makes the people drink the bits of gold that he's now scattered over the water. Soon God calls him back up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments again. The people had turned their backs on God. They had become a stiff-necked people. Think about what they had seen with their own eyes they had watched the ten plagues batter Egypt back and forth God had parted the Red Sea so that they could walk on dry ground he had provided them with manna and quail as they traveled through the wilderness and all of this stuff had happened over the course of just a few months but when Moses disappeared up the mountain to receive God's law their trust in God fell apart The problem was they didn't realize who God was. They expected him to act just like them, jumping to conclusions and acting brashly. So in their minds, it was time for them to find a new God. Now, after all of this, when Moses has come back down the mountain to see their idol, when he's told them off for their rebellion and pleaded with God on their behalf, the Lord comes to Moses and proclaims his name. It seems like such a strange thing to do. But in telling Moses who he is, God is showing his response to the sins of his people. Just like any name, God's name defines him. And so here God is defining himself to Moses. And this is what God says about himself. Adonai, Adonai, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. And overflowing with mercy and truth. Maintaining mercy to thousands. Forgiving guilt and rebellion and sin. Who is he? He's compassionate and gracious. He's the one who had rescued his people from slavery. And had provided for their every need that they had in the wilderness. He's slow to anger. They had just gotten caught cheating on God. With a God that they themselves had made. His patience is off the charts. And then think about how patient he would be going forward. How many prophets did he send throughout Israel's history to warn them to turn away from their sin, to turn back to God? He's overflowing with mercy and truth. His mercy is more than could ever be expected. Each word that comes from his lips is true. It's hard for us to trust anything without first verifying it. We live in a world full of lies. But that's not the case with God. The one who doesn't need to make his words match with reality because he created all of reality with his words. He maintains mercy for thousands. This is not just for a few, but it's for the whole lot. He forgives guilt and rebellion and sin. The only way to remove sin is to have God remove it himself. No bales, no calves could take it away. Because God's forgiveness is not like man's forgiveness. Man's forgiveness is like a knife hidden in a jacket pocket. We say we forgive, but when the moment is most useful, we thrust the reminder of their sin right into their back. Remember that time that you did this, that you did that, we'll say. But God's forgiveness is different. He doesn't remember our sins. Forgiveness means each and every sin being completely wiped out. The stiff-necked Israelites were surely fools. But are we much different? What have you seen in your life? You've seen God providing for you with all that you need for body and life. You've seen God working out situations where there didn't seem to be any possible solution. And he worked it out for your good. You've heard God speaking his words of forgiveness to you. In his word, words of forgiveness that you could never find anywhere else. But how quickly you turn your back. The confirmation student takes heart what God's word says about living with and sleeping with his girlfriend before marriage up until four years later when he decides that God has it all wrong and he's got it all right the wife walks out of church after being deeply moved by a sermon about building others up instead of tearing them down only to belittle her husband in the car in front of their kids on the five minute drive home How could the Israelites go from witnessing God's power and love to following their own desires so quickly? Look in the mirror. And yet, God reveals his name to us here today too. Adonai, Adonai, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and overflowing with mercy and truth, maintaining mercy to thousands, forgiving guilt and rebellion and sin. He's compassionate and slow to anger with us as we journey down all those ugly paths of sin. He's overflowing with more mercy than we could ever expect, mercy that is for each and every one of us. He's active in forgiving our guilt and rebellion and sin. And and how does he forgive? It's more than just forgetting our sins. It's more than just erasing them from a book. He makes the payment for our debt out of his own wallet. He pulls out not a crisp and perfect $100 bill, but he gives his crisp and perfect only son. We know our God's name because he tells us his name. And we value that name because it draws us near to him and out of our helpless lives to the God who loves us in a way that we can only begin to describe. But the church simply knowing the name of the bridegroom, it's only half of the equation. She also has to use that name. What joy God's people must have felt in hearing that the God they had just rebelled against was not only going to forgive them, but that he was going to go with them too. We hear Moses rejoicing at the end of the section, saying, If I have now found favor in your sight, Lord, please let the Lord go along with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, pardon our guilt and our sin and accept us as your possession. He's asking the Lord to be with them, to forgive them, and to keep them as his own. Not only is the name of the Lord something to know, but it's something to use, something to rejoice in. How is the name of the Lord used by his church? Well, she uses his name as she prays to him. She uses his name when yet another member of her body is baptized into him. She uses his name as she meditates on his word. She uses his name when she receives him in flesh and blood for forgiveness. And she uses his name when she proclaims to herself and to others where her hope and her salvation are found. But have we always put God's name to use? When we sit at home on a Sunday or a number of Sundays because we have things to do, that we would never say matter more than being in God's house, our actions tell a different story. When we go months at a time without receiving the Lord's Supper, wandering around in the wilderness of life, thinking something else will quench our thirst as well, we trample on God's name. When we keep silent as we encounter opportunities to tell of God's name because we're afraid that we might say it wrong, that we might look like we actually don't know what his name is, we throw our most powerful tool that God gives us right in the trash. Brothers and sisters, don't get comfortable with thinking that just because you have God's name, you're good to go. The Israelites fell into this trap many times. Though they were God's chosen people, they didn't think they had to place any focus on their connection with God. Jesus points this out in Matthew chapter 3. He says, Do not think of saying to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Their connection with God was not based on them bearing his name, it was based on them using his name, worshiping him, and proclaiming him, finding solace in that name. Satan has set the same traps up for you and me, too. He whispers plenty of times in our ears Trust your gut and do what you think is right. The Bible is long and so hard to read. Or he'll say, You don't need to go to God to repent and be forgiven. God knows your heart has been in the right place the whole time. Or he'll say, Your faith is private. You don't need to share it with anyone or go to church to be affirmed. Friends, don't buy into these lies. God gives you his name so that you can live in his name. The bride of Christ, the church, can't help but using his name. She uses it to be reminded of all that God has done and promises to do for her still yet. She uses it because she knows she exists in a world full of unfaithful and failing husbands, false gods that promise all kinds of happiness, happiness that they can't provide. She wants those lost souls to have what she has, the God who is patient and forgiving and always with her. Dear beautiful and radiant Church of Christ, remember God is remember what that makes you and don't be shy about letting others know too amen